Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2013. Titled, Seek the Lord and Live, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 9 for May 25 to 31, The Day of the Lord, Zephaniah. Sabbath afternoon, May 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to another book, Zephaniah. And as we look in it, we'll find that you're an awesome God and that you are greater than any of the gods that man could ever invent. And that we worship you and people have worshipped you in the past. As we open the book of Zephaniah this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, enrich us, and reassure us of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our key thought for this week is judgment is coming, but grace and mercy are still available for those who earnestly seek for it. And our memory text is Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. Let's read that again, Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all all the shores of the nations. In the books of the prophets, if they were placed in chronological order, Zephaniah would fit between Isaiah and Jeremiah. Zephaniah's preaching condemned the hopeless corruption found in Judean society. He pointed to the need for repentance based on the fact that God's love still was calling his people to humility and faithfulness. His message was twofold. There is a threat of an imminent and universal judgment, which will include even God's own people, yet there is also a promise that the saved from all nations will join the remnant of Israel in serving God and enjoying his blessings. This week's study will show that Zephaniah's message still matters to those who proclaim God's message of hope to a fallen world. Sunday, May 26, A Day of Darkness The focal point of Zephaniah's message is the day of the Lord. We see that in verse 7. For biblical prophets, the day of the Lord refers to a specific period of time in which God intervenes in human affairs in order to both save and to judge. Most people in ancient Israel believed that on this day the Lord would save and exalt Israel while the enemy nations would be forever destroyed. To the great surprise of those who listened, the prophet declared that the day of the Lord would be a day of doom, even for God's people. We read about that in Zephaniah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. 
The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, because they had sinned against God, as he tells us in verse 17. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Question. Compare Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 14 to 18 with Joel 2, 1 to 11 and Amos 5, 18 to 20. When read together, what picture do they present about the day of the Lord? Well, first of all, Zephaniah chapter 14, sorry, chapter 1 verses 14 to 18. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. And we compare that with Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds so they run. With a noise like chariots, over mountain tops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain, all faces are drained of colour. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like men of war. Every one marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Every one marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. 
The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And we compare that with Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Zephaniah likens the coming judgment to the sweeping away of all life in the days of the great flood recorded in Genesis 6-8. The catalogue of death in Zephaniah 1 verses 2 and 3 is arranged somewhat in reverse order of God's original creation. Humanity, land beasts, the creatures of the air and those of the sea. The prophet warned the people that they would not be able to buy their way out of judgment. Neither silver nor gold would protect them from the Lord's anger. However, the complacent people in Jerusalem claimed that God would do neither good nor harm. They simply did not expect the Lord to do anything. But divine judgments reveal how much God actively works to ensure that there will be a future for his faithful people. Zephaniah makes it clear that God's judgment is not only punitive, but corrective. The Lord holds out a promise of shelter for those who seek him. Thus, the day of the Lord is more than the end of the world. It is the beginning of the future establishment of God's rule, which will last forever. And so to finish today, read Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. In what ways do we even now experience the truth of the principle expressed here? That is, what kind of situations have we faced in which all the money in the world could not save us? Monday, May 27, The Humble of the Land In Zephaniah chapter 2, 1-3, to we see the prophet's call to repentance. Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. Even though the destruction is imminent, there is still time to be sheltered from calamity, but only if the nation will repent. The wicked who refuse to repent will be consumed like chaff on the day of judgment. In Psalm 1-4, the wicked are also likened to chaff, and in the end they perish. 
With the words, Seek the Lord, Zephaniah is encouraging those who humble themselves before God to hold firm in their faith. The prophet teaches that to seek the Lord is the same as seeking righteousness and humility. This attitude of repentance is essential in order to escape the coming judgment. Question. Zephaniah calls the repentant people the humble of the Lord in verse 3. How do the following passages shed light on this expression, which is also translated as the poor of the land? Well, first of all, we look in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then Psalm 76 and verse 9. When God arose to judgment, he delivered all the oppressed of the earth. And Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And Amos chapter 8 and verse 4. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail. The humble are those people who remain faithful to God and who are led and taught by Him. The psalmist says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore He instructs sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. That's Psalm 25 verses 8 and 9. The humble are urged to prepare for the coming judgment by seeking God, righteousness and humility. The possibility of survival for the humble who are faithful is expressed through the word perhaps. It means that survival depends solely on divine grace and grace is something that never should be taken for granted. In the face of impending doom, there is hope for the future from God who is merciful. The Lord has promised to shelter all those who trust in Him. And we can see that in Joel chapter 3 and verse 16. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for His people and the strength of the children of Israel. And also we find that same thought in Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who trust in Him. This type of trust casts out self-reliance, guile, and deception. To finish today, Ellen White writes in the Ministry of Healing, page 182, Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Saviour. By prayer, by the study of His Word, by faith in His abiding presence, the weakest of human beings may live in contact with the living Christ, and He will hold them by a hand that will never let go. What has been your own experience with this incredible promise and all these other incredible promises that we've read? How can you learn to have that kind of close walk with the Lord?
Tuesday, May 28, a corrupt city. A Chinese proverb says that the darkest spot in the room is located right under the candle. This proverb could be applied to the moral state of Jerusalem in Zephaniah's time. The prophet just had completed the pronouncement of divine judgments on Judah's neighbouring countries. That's recorded in Zephaniah chapter 2. Countries such as Philistia in the west, Moab and Ammon in the east, Cush in the south, and Assyria in the east. Yet he does not stop there. He proceeds to expose the sins of those who dwell in God's own city on earth, Jerusalem itself. Question. Read Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Who is being condemned, and why? Ask yourself, how could God's people, those who have been given so much light and truth, end up so corrupted? How can we protect ourselves from having the same thing happen to us? Zephaniah 3, verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice, she has not received correction, she has not trusted in the Lord, she has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions, her judges are evening wolves, they leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people." Her priests have polluted the sanctuary, they have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst, he will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light, he never fails. But the unjust knows no shame. The capital of Judah lies at the heart of Zephaniah's concern. He indicts its leaders concerning the city's moral degradation. The corruption stems directly from the failure of its leaders to live up to their designated roles and responsibilities. Let's compare that with Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 18. Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise nor the word from the prophet. Come, and let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. And also we'll compare that to Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 23 to 30. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions, and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So 
I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. The corrupt court officials are likened to roaring lions and judges are characterized as evening wolves and the temple fares no better because the priests do not teach God's word nor do the prophets speak the truth. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings During the reign of Josiah the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah specifying plainly the results of continued apostasy and calling the attention of the true church to the glorious prospect beyond. His prophecies of impending judgment upon Judah apply with equal force to the judgments that are to fall upon an impenitent world at the time of the second advent of Christ. So, to finish today, Look around. However alluring, the world is doomed to ultimate destruction. One does not even need to believe in the Bible to see how easily this destruction could happen. Why is the Lord our only hope? How can we learn to lean on Him more and more and not trust in the vain and empty things of this world? Wednesday, May 29, God's Greatest Delight Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 reads, The Lord your God is with you, He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, He will quiet you with His love, He will rejoice over you with singing. In the closing section of his book, Zephaniah 3, 9-20, Zephaniah turns from a theme of anger to one of restoration. Let's read that. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord, to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness, and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid." Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy, the King of Israel. The Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. 
Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Beyond the judgment we come to God's ultimate goals. When the nations have been disciplined, they will together call on the Lord and serve Him cordially. The lips of the people will be purified so that all may worship and praise the Lord by serving Him. A small yet humble and faithful remnant will survive in Judah and will take the place of the proud leaders. Most important, God will dwell among His people and He will make past wrongs right. No longer will his people need to live in fear, because the Lord will be with them, dwelling in their midst. He will be their deliverer and saviour, as it says in verse 13. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Such blessings would normally cause God's people to rejoice over him. But the prophet declares that God will rejoice over them. His love and joy for his people will be so great that he will shout over them with jubilation. Question. How did the prophet Isaiah describe God's joy over his redeemed people? First of all, Isaiah 62 verse 5, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over over you. And in Isaiah 65 verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. The great king, the divine warrior, will protect and vindicate his people. He will grant them all the benefits of his victory, the one that he won for us at the cross. He will exalt the humble and turn disgrace, suffering and alienation into an experience of honour, blessings and his own presence. Prominence will be given to the lame and the outcast, a theme that lies at the heart of the message proclaimed by Jesus Christ. So, to finish today, even amid such dire warnings, the Lord offered his people hope. How can we, as Seventh-day Adventists, trusting in the promise of the Second Coming, learn to live day by day with that hope? How can we learn to keep that hope alive, especially in times of trouble, when the world offers us nothing but sorrow? Thursday, May 30. God's Answer to Injustice Question. Read Nahum chapters 1, 2 and 3. What verses especially teach us about the character of God? How can we apply what is seen here to our understanding of last day events? Beginning the book of Nahum, chapter 1. The burden against Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkazite, 
God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he will he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But... With an overflowing flood he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For, while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counsellor, thus says the Lord. Though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you, and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer, out of the house of your gods, I cut, I will cut off the carved image and the moulded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks. Fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to her walls, and the defence is prepared. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed. She shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breasts. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of colour. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? When the lion walked, the lioness and the lion's cub, and no one made them afraid. 
The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his caves with prey, and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The voice of a whip, and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots... Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpuses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is like waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than no Amon that was situated by the river, that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Libum were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honourable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk, you will be hidden, you also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates." Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like a locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locusts. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts, and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? The prophecy of Nahum is God's word against the kingdoms of this world as represented by Nineveh. As the prophet looked at his world, he saw the hand of God moving against the Assyrian Empire. He announced that this is capital city, Nineveh, would soon fall, never to rise again. 
Nahum spoke with absolute confidence because he knew God's character and, through the gift of prophecy described in verse 1 of chapter 1, he had been shown by the Lord what would happen. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished, he says in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3, but also in Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The Assyrians had plundered many nations and had an insatiable lust for power. Their cruelty was notorious. As God's razor, as described in Isaiah 7.20, they eagerly had shorn their neighbours. Now it was time for the razor to be broken. Instruments of God's judgment were not exempt from judgment. Nineveh exists no more, but the prophetic testimony lives on. It reminds us that Though God's justice seems slow, nothing ultimately can stop it. As we have seen in an earlier lesson, years before Nahum's time, the Ninevites, having heard Jonah's preaching, had repented and God had spared their city. But the repentance had not lasted. The people returned to their old ways. Many countries that had suffered under Nineveh's oppressive yoke would greet the news of its fall with thunderous applause. A messenger will come to bring good news. Isaiah 52, verse 7, tells us that. And that reads, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings and good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to God, Your God reigns. A messenger will come to bring good news, that the power of Assyria is broken, with its gods. God's people will again be able to worship in peace, as Nahum one fifteen told us. As great as the Lord's anger is, more tender is his mercy. He protects those who await the fullness of his goodness. Nahum teaches that God cares for those who trust in him, but that with an overwhelming flood he will pursue his enemies into darkness. He teaches also that God is behind it all, for he has determined that Nineveh's day of judgment has come. The prophet shows that God has awesome power. All creation trembles before him. He does not tolerate sin forever. At the same time, he is the saviour of those who trust in him. There is no middle ground. We are on one side or the other. He who is not with me, Jesus said is against me. Friday, May 31. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 364. With unerring accuracy, the Infinite One still keeps account with the nations. While His mercy is tended with calls to repentance, this account remains open. But when the figures reach a certain amount which God has fixed, the ministry of His wrath begins. 
the account is closed, divine patience ceases, mercy no longer pleads in their behalf. And, by the same author from Testimonies to Ministers, page 131, Before the world's unfallen and the heavenly universe, the world will have to give an account to the judge of the whole earth, the very one they condemned and crucified. What a reckoning day that will be! It is the great day of God's vengeance. Christ does not then stand at Pilate's bar. Pilate and Herod and all that mocked, scourged, rejected and crucified him will then understand what it means to feel the wrath of the Lamb. Their deeds will appear before them in their true character. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Some of the people in Zephaniah's time did terrible things against both the Lord and their fellow countrymen, while others were just complacent as such evils unfolded. Which of these two sins do you think is worse in God's eyes? Justify your answer. 2. Go back over the final question at the end of Monday's lesson, where these words were quoted. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Saviour. What does it mean to rely wholly on the merits of the Saviour? How do these words reveal to us the great truth of salvation by faith in Christ alone? And why is that truth so central to all that we believe? If we do not rely on His merits, on whose merits can we rely? 3. Why is it so easy, especially for those who live in wealth and comfort, to forget just how utterly dependent we are upon God for everything that we have? How can we protect ourselves from this fatal delusion? And four, dwell more upon this idea of the Lord singing and rejoicing over his people. We tend to think of ourselves singing and rejoicing over God and what he has done for us. What does it mean that he sings and rejoices over us? How could that be, considering the rather pathetic state in which we all find ourselves? That brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Standing Up for Jesus, Part 1. The ropes bit into Bien's wrists as she struggled to free herself. Her brothers had tied her to the small boat before they left to get gas for the boat's engine. They planned to take her to the small offshore island where their grandmother lived so she couldn't attend the heretic's church she had been visiting. She knew she had little time. She saw some friends passing nearby and called them to help her. They quickly untied the rough ropes and helped her from the boat before her brothers returned. As 14-year-old Bien and her friends hurried through the streets of the small town, she explained that her family was angry because she had been attending the Seventh-day Adventist church and her brothers were trying to keep her from going. Why don't you just give up the church? One of her friends asked. Is church worth all this trouble? It's not just going to church, Bian explained. I've learned that God loves me, that Jesus died for me, 
and that he wants me to follow him. I want to be his daughter, even if it means losing my own family. Where can you go and be safe? another girl asked. The pastor's house, Bianne said, and led the way. When they arrived, Bianne thanked her friends and begged them not to tell her parents where she was. Safely inside, Bianne told the pastor and his wife what had happened, and they agreed to let her stay with them for a while. But three days later, Bianne's mother knocked on the door. Bianne fought her fear and bravely followed the pastor to the door. When the pastor opened the door, Bianne's mother lunged at her daughter, grabbing her by the hair. She tried to drag Bianne from the house. Stop, the pastor's wife said. Bianne's mother let go and faced the pastor's wife. We're concerned about her, the pastor's wife said. Can we talk? Bianne's mother finally agreed to leave without her daughter, but the pastor promised to bring Bianne to see her later that day. Bianne whispered, I'm afraid. We'll go with you and stay with you while we try to sort this out, the pastor said. Bianne nodded. She knew she couldn't stay with the pastor forever. The pastor took Bianne to her parents' house and agreed to let them speak in private. But when he left, Bianne's parents unleashed their anger. You are useless to us and a problem, her father began. We don't want you around here, and we don't want you near those Seventh-day Adventists. You're going to live with your grandmother where you won't find any Seventh-day Adventists. And it says here, continued next week. So you'll have to listen next week to find out what happens to BN.